Yes, sir. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the KO and Convo. My name is Keenan O'Doherty, and I am the host of this show. It has certainly been a long hiatus between episodes, a months-long hiatus, actually. But we're back. We're back with another episode, first of the fall really and uh my guest today is no other than renowned author darren donnelly he is the author of the sports for the soul series and is a huge on mindset and self-improvement and the relationship between sports and self-improvement and at least that was the path he was able to to follow and the connection he was able to find between uh those two there so we talk about all that stuff i'm not going to waste too much time but welcome back i've missed you guys and here we go. Take a quick break, and here's Darren Donnelly. Welcome back to the KO'd Convo, and it's been a long time since episodes, like a monthly span, but luckily enough, we're back, and we're back with a bang. Got a good guest on, on here today for you, for you listeners out there. Honestly, one of my uh, favorite authors coming w- when talking about the uh, my life uh, self-improvement sense, excuse me, in mindset sense, uh, Darren Donnelly is with me today. Darren, how are you? Good. Thanks for thanks for having me on, Keenan. I'm glad to be on. Yeah, exactly. It's it's always nice to uh, to talk to somebody with such an Irish name as well as myself. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I thought of that too. It is nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so Darren is the author of the Sports for the Soul series. Uh, amazing group of books and he just came out with another one called the uh, turnaround which focuses all on confidence but uh, you can check them all out obviously on amazon and wherever you buy your books and sportsforthesoul.com so darren before we dive into the context of of the books and stuff and some of your favorite writings i just want to ask where did sports from the soul really stem from like what was the uh what was the sort of birth uh, behind the, the series? Well, I guess uh, I've, I've been an entrepreneur for, you know, since college. I mean, it's going on probably close to 25 years now. Uh, was involved in other, uh, um, you know, of course, this was back in the 90s when you kind of, anyone that could learn how to build a website had a pretty good leg up. <laughs> when they uh, were starting businesses. And uh, and so I, that was the route I first went through more, um, even though my growing up and things like that, I always wanted to be a writer or a football coach. Those were kind of my two things I was heading towards. So in college, I was heading more towards journalism sort of thing, but, but got bit by that entrepreneurial bug. Like I said, in the 90s, there were a lot of startups and dorm rooms and things like that. Mine was a laundry room in a house I shared with some roommates so um and so we got got into that and 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 through the years um the business grew expanded went through different variations um so I guess this is all a a longer way of saying it it's not like I just decided right from the start this is what I was going to do this sort of evolved from my own experiences um as an entrepreneur as a business owner uh, going through the ups and downs of of running a business, you know, there's going through recessions, things like that. You know, they, there are some tough times and you have to learn from them. Um, but what I always helped me going through and running a business w- was constantly uh, feeding my mind, you know, feeding your mind positive uh self-improvement material books, books on business and, and that sort of thing, but also books on, you know, just mindset, like you were talking about, uh, books, uh, from just any type of personal, personal development guru. Um, but what I, what I noticed as time went on was that there were some contradictions, you know, between, um, what some people would say or, and, and, you get in that moment of what what are you going to trust whose voice you're going to trust and one thing i always went back to were people involved in sports you know the first personal development book i ever bought was called winning every day by lou holtz and it was i would have been either 
either a freshman in college or just getting ready to start college. But I bought the book at a time when I did not have the money to buy books. You know, it was like a, yeah. a sacrifice to, to buy that. And, you know, I'm, I'm biased, of course, but to this day, that's a book. It's my favorite ever. It's the one I go back to the most. It's because it was the first book I bought it more just because I was a Notre Dame fan and he had recently retired and, you know, just wanted to read. And then all of a sudden you realize this is a self-improvement book. And it was that first book that told me you have choices here. You can really determine your destiny and how important your attitude is, how you handle adversity. All these things are, were really, and it was such a, you know, it's not like you, I hadn't heard some of that stuff before, but never put this way, never so much. You, you know, success is a choice and so directly and bluntly from a coach who'd had so much success. And so I'd always been reading a lot of those type of books and, you know, and, and so I guess based on my experience as an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneurial, I would go back and say, okay, who can I really trust when you have conflicting advice? You know, I remember, I don't know if you remember when The Secret got really big. Um, it was a, a book in the 2005 around there. And it was it was sort of this philosophy that you you control everything in your life based on how you think and 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 I remember and that kind of it got so big became this national phenomenon it was a huge bestseller um, and it started I noticed that whole idea getting involved with um, every uh, most of the big time personal development books that came out seemed to have. You know, it was definitely an influence on those. And I I remember at one point kind of thinking, and then, of course, the big recession happens right around that time. And I remember thinking, this, I, it's, it's, I'm not picking on the secret or anyone involved with it. I'm just saying, I remember being, feeling a little unsettled by it. You know, you had this idea that, yeah, hey, as long as I think positive thoughts, nothing bad will ever happen. And and I understand some of them have walked back that message and said, hey, you know, we're, that was just an introductory thing. But I, I found it to be a little that that was where I said, you know, would 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 a coach like Lou Holtz, would a, you know, would a coach like Bob Stoops, would a co- these coaches who have had big success, would they be teaching this concept to their teams? You know, obviously the answer is no. You know, there's a lot of hard work involved and. You can do everything right and still face adversity. You know, you have to accept that there are just some things you cannot control in life. And if you think otherwise, you can start to drive yourself a little crazy, I think. <laughs> so so I, I, I went back to sports as, I guess, the great proving ground. You know, they call sports psychology the, the science of success because results matter. Everything can be measured. You know, we can say... You know, a guru can get up there and say, hey, do this, do this visualization technique, and you'll feel so much, you know, it'll it'll have these results in your life. And that's great, and he might be right, might not. For sports psychology, sports psychologists, they can take a group and actually test it out. You know, you can say, okay, we're going to have this group you know, go through these visualization techniques for shooting free throws, and we're going to compare it to the group that didn't and see who improved the most. And you can have data that backs up all these things. And it's the same thing with coaches in general, even if they're not specifically involved in sports psychology, they're involved in running their teams and the scoreboard never lies. You know, you know what kind of leadership strategies work and, and you can learn from that. And so I guess, yeah, to answer your question, uh, that encouraged me to get back into not, I mean, I still read plenty of stuff from psychologists and, you know, any type of personal development, business, marketing, all that stuff. But I, I do, I believe that sports are the ultimate proving ground. So by going back to making sure that, you know, this strategy has actually been tried out in the world of sports and and to see how that can convert into life that's helped me a lot so books that that shared that yeah and and is there a is there a sense that people go back to sports because a lot of people can relate um 
it's it's more relatable than than some other like industries i would say absolutely i think completely because you've got you know it's the great metaphor really for for life i suppose you know you've got a very clear goal and you know it's a team usually a team but but you've got a very clear goal you've got a very specific score um you know whatever adversity you're trying to overcome in life or whatever uh your goal is with your job or even just you know just personal life goals um those are all exactly relatable to any athlete or coach who has a very specific goal and i i feel like my books try to represent that that you know the seasons in the book are supposed to be metaphors for the seasons of life that we all go through you know yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm with you on that 100%. Um want to take it back real quick. Uh, so you're obviously a sports guy. So growing up, which sport was your favorite? Did you play all of them? Who were your teams? You know, the basic, the basic questions. <laughs> yeah, no, I was a big, big football fan from a really young age. I, I grew up in a small town where it was football was a really big deal so you know we all got involved with the high school teams and uh and i went to a a small catholic school and it was kind of a k through 12 school and and we were all very much involved with (laughs) with what the high school team did and and you know your faith was all it was all intertwined you know and how important sports were to to improving as people um and then so so i grew up uh, i pretty big Notre Dame fan um for sure that was that's always been my team and then uh, I grew up in Kansas and um went to college at Kansas State and so then that was and what a great time I went there uh when we when I was there we had seasons that were just every year was 11 wins and we're just one win away here and there from uh from so I had a lot of fun as a college football fan but I I love all sports. I love all competition. Uh, football is definitely my top sport as far as just a personal favorite. But but I think, uh, you know, I wrote a book on baseball called Relentless Optimism. And and you want to talk about a sport where you have to learn how to deal with failure. I, I don't think anything <laughs> comes close to baseball as far as, you know, the best hitters in the league are going to still fail seven out of ten times at bat and and just dealing with that uh what a what a great metaphor for life what a what what a great sport to learn from yeah yeah so so uh, is it safe to say that no jayhawks are allowed in the family (laughs) (laughs) actually my wife got her master's from kate oh okay (laughs) I, i shouldn't say that but and we'll see where my kids end up going but yeah no yeah, we are. We're definitely a wildcat family right now. <laughs> I well, hope it stays that way. No. Well, I mean, they they upset Oklahoma a g- good amount of times in the last last couple of years, so you never know. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, t- let's uh, let's dive into the books here because obviously the first one, "Think Like a Warrior." You you mentioned relentless op- optimism as more of a uh, baseball focused book, but "Think Like a Warrior" in a way is completely the opposite because you you target multiple sports and multiple coaches uh, in that along that uh, along that journey, um, obviously. So w- when you're thinking about the uh the mindset right and and this uh self-improvement aspect of the things and you're looking at the sports for the soul series what really goes into one of these books in terms of from start to finish like break break down the process like do you already have a plan set out of like the next of what the next book theme is and things of that nature that's a that's a good question because yeah each one's a little bit different um so yeah like you mentioned think like a warrior that's that was the first one and that one probably came about more kind of going back to what i was talking about earlier how sports for the soul really begin in my mind and everything it it did be it began from it, it came from sort of that 
like I said, a little bit of a reaction to, you know, after going through the recession and seeing how some of the big promises that were being made by self-help gurus at the time that, you know, boy, if I'm just positive, I will never have anything bad happen to me. I wanted to make sure I addressed that head on. And, um, and so, yeah, I went back. The premise of the book is uh, a coach who's struggling, about to get fired, a college football coach. And his personal life's a mess as well as far as some business dealings he had that went wrong. And, and he's just really kind of at the end of his rope. And he ends up getting these sort of mysterious dreamlike visions from great coaches of the past. Uh, John Wooden, Bear Bryant, Vince Lombardi, Buck O'Neill, and Herb Brooks. And, uh, and each one teaches him a certain lesson uh, for being successful, not only in sports, but also in life. And, and one of the, mo- the very first lessons he learns is to focus only on the things you have total control over, your effort and your attitude. Um, so to, to go back to your, to answer your question a little more, I, that was a book where I really kind of knew what I wanted to address at first, but it did evolve as it went on. And, and I guess, um, it it was, it was a really fun one to write because it involved so much research in these actual coaches. So, you know, when I was working on the John Wooden section, you know, it was just, constantly reading researching going back to old interviews watching watching things he said going reading old interviews reading books he wrote reading books that were written about him and really trying to find his voice and and capture that and i did that with all the coaches so it was it was really a fun one because i didn't know exactly what the main messages would be um as i went along they just kind of just kind of happened it was it was a really fun and neat (laughs) writing experience because they did each of those main five lessons that get talked about in the book they just kind of evolved from each coach's uh personality and what he really taught back when he was was a coach and and really and you know there's always some crossover between all of them anyone who's had success at a high level there's going to be some crossover and and they're going to teach similar things. But I tried to capture uh, what each of those coaches were best known for as far as the lesson that they, they taught. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so now your newest one uh, just came out in May. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. May uh, the turnaround, which is all about confidence. Um, And confidence certainly is a, is a, uh, is not a touchy subject, but it's certainly one of those tricky ones. Um, so in your mind, what, what defines confidence? Well, the book is, yeah, it's, it's basically believing in yourself. You know, um, the book is about confidence, like you said, but also, uh, a winning attitude. Okay. Well, what is a winning attitude? And you start going through all that. Well, it's, the most important component of a winning attitude is self-confidence, believing in yourself. Um, and we could say, we could call it your self-image as well. It's how you view yourself. You either see yourself as someone who can succeed, someone who can be successful, or someone who can't. And and so that, you know, uh, when we talk about self-image, it's been famously said that you'll never outperform your self-image. Okay, so if you have a confident self-image of yourself you're going to achieve at a higher level than someone who who does not. And I think coaches will tell you one of the questions they get asked by their athletes the most is, you know, coach, how can I gain more confidence? How, it's something we're all dealing with. And, and obviously it transfers to every area of life, business, personal life, everything. More, the more successful people are usually the more confident people. The most successful, confident teams usually win the games, you know. Um, so I thought it was a very important book to, to write, a very important subject to make sure. Spent a lot of time and was worthy of a whole book to, to talk about. Obviously, six, six books in now. Um, do, you have a, do you have a long-term plan as to how many books you want in the Sports for Soul series, or is it kind of a take it, take it book by book kind of mentality? 
Well, it's it's book by book, but I do think the goal right now is to, and listening to my readers and hearing back from people, is people just want more. They want more. One of the things, so this started, we're kind of going back to what you originally asked, you know, how did this all start? So it started as kind of, uh, this is what helped me the most and, and to make the parallels between life and sports and learn from the great leaders in sports who, whose result, you know, the scoreboard never lies. You, you can see their results and if it's working or not. And then you apply that to your life and you'll find similar results. Um, so it started as that, you know, a blog and a, and a, that first book. And, um, but I think now I've, it's evolved more to, People want to keep feeding their minds positive things, you know, and that's what these books do. You know, each, they're fictional fables, they're stories that teach these lessons and, and what it takes to succeed. So they're told as sports, you know, whether it's football, boxing, baseball, basketball, we're doing them all, you know, but going, it's, it's not so much the sport that matters as it is the lesson. And uh, what I'm hearing from readers is just how much they, once someone, especially buys the first one, for instance, Think Like a Warrior, how many of them then buy all six of them? And, they, and then they're asking, hey, when can, I wish these came out once a month. I wish these came out. Now, <laughs> yeah. I can't crank them out that fast. But, I, but the goal would be to have three or four a year eventually where you can just constantly, because it's so important, what you feed your mind does determine the kind of life you live. And it's and you know with culture today and you know what's on the news all the time and everything else, you know it's you know bad news sells unfortunately and so we're constantly being bombarded with you know fearful headlines and bad news so we do have to really take control of okay what what can I feed my mind with that's going to keep me positive and and moving in the direction that I want to be moving in life. And, and so I hope my, my goal is for the books to, to be that source that, you know, go to bed at night reading something like that as opposed to something that's going to, you know, reading your phone or something that's going to keep you up at night. Are, are you already in works on your next one? I am. Yeah. All right. But, uh, but I always have to keep that quiet. I, I find that the more I talk about them, the slower I write. So I always, have, I've learned to not say what anything about the new one until it's actually finished. So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously people's mindsets have become and self-improvement tactics have become more prevalent than ever, obviously because of uh, the pandemic and people were staying close to home or supposed to stay home, you know, um, not stewing, but you, you catch my drift. So just talking, just your experience with the, with the pandemic and do your books kind of, did you feel your books kind of helped in the, in that sense with such a, a big, uh, time, uh, such a big a time as the pandemic was? Well, I sure hope so. I think the main message of that keeps it getting basically told again and again and reinforced in each of my books is that you really don't control everything in life. That none of us saw this COVID thing happening. Obviously, um, none of us could have prepared. You know, unless I mean, obviously, some people might have predicted some. You know, there was a danger or something like this at some point but none of us really you know started off the year thinking boy you know i bet my kids won't be able to finish school in school this year you know because of a pandemic so it was such a a shock and and such a tragedy to so many families and so i think the first step of handling anything like that is to recognize okay there are some things i can't control all I can do is control what I can. You know, Lou Holtz likes to say that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. I agree completely. That's the message. What we do control is our attitude and our effort. You know, we can obviously take uh, precautions and something like this, you know, learn from whatever the science is telling us, and, and we all need to do that, absolutely. But we also need to make sure we're keeping a positive attitude and, and doing the best with what we are able to do and not get so focused on what we can't do. You know, we'll just get depressed doing that. 
And so absolutely, I think the message of these books and and the Sports for the Soul series and everything I try to teach is absolutely reinforcing. Control what you can control. Don't the, the problem I had with some of the past personal development stuff that I was talking about, this idea, you know, a little bit more of a, went down a little bit more of a woo-woo path, I guess I would say, where, you, you know, it's like that you control every single thing that happens to you. You're the you're kind of the center of your own world. I just, we know that doesn't happen, and it it certainly doesn't happen in sports, you know, you can, the, the best team doesn't always win, you know, I mean, you can do everything right, and the weather is bad, and there's just so many factors you don't always control. Um, but but the key is to keep your focus on what you do control. And and that's really what positive thinking and all these messages are about is, you know, it's not, hey, if I just stay positive, nothing bad will ever happen. It's that if I stay positive and believe that I can get through whatever comes my way, I will. And you have to believe that, that I will, I will, I will grow from this. I will get better. I will overcome this and, and not just oh i must if something bad happens oh it's because i you know i did it somehow i caused it myself some certainly many times you could have a role in it but you can't beat yourself up about it and you have to learn from it and some things you'd have absolutely no role in at all it just like this covid <laughs> you know it's just something that happened and we have to attack and adapt yeah so in terms of uh, your uh, the turnaround uh, book that just came out. Obviously, it was. I think you were telling me it was supposed to come out a little earlier. Were there were there circumstances uh, because of the pandemic that you had to overcome in terms of getting that book done and really releasing it on time? Yeah, actually, yeah, there was. It just when that happened, you're right. I, I remember that now, and it was. Uh, there was. I, I believe there were two years between that book and the last one almost. And, and so normally, yeah, so that was a little longer and certainly some of it was COVID related, you know, um, for one thing, I think all authors had to take a step back and say, okay, do I, if I'm writing anything that's happening while COVID is happening, do I want that to be a part of the book? I decided for this one, I did not want it to be, but so that any of the present day stuff, was actually in 2019. Um, but so, it, yeah, yeah, it definitely, definitely caused me to some delays as far as how best to handle with that. And also just listening to people and, and what, what are the messages that are, you know, we're, we're all constantly evolving and there are different, different times when different topics, I think, are going to be more useful. And I wanted to make sure I was aware of that, especially post COVID. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just really curious about that because I know everyone was affected in their own way. So I just wanted to, to, to hear, hear your side of it. Um, so looking at all the coaches that you've written about, obviously, and all the coaches you have researched, obviously you said Lou Holtz was one of your biggest influences when you first got started with this. After researching these uh, endless amounts of coaches that you do, are there any specific ones that really stood out to you that you like got, like fell in love with and with their mindset and their coaching style and things of that nature? Well, gosh, there are, I mean, <laughs> obviously Wooden, the people that in think like a warrior, obviously John Wooden's message is, you know, what a, just a wonderful message as far as, you know, positivity and, and, uh, uh, I would also say, um, gosh, you know, as I, as I'm thinking of them all, I'm just getting flooded, you know, Vince Lombardi, there's just some great biographies written on him and, and what an interesting guy. If you, if you really research him, you know, he's a caricature, in some people's minds of like this very old school guy, but really there's much more to him. And, and he's very, very, you know, into his faith and things like that. And um, so he was one, I, I'll tell you, I had a, a lot of fun on this last book for the turnaround. It's basically a story, a college football story. And it's that the character is basically looking back on his life of, Going, you know, when he was a fourth-string quarterback at one of the worst college teams in America, new coach comes in and 
and change, turns around the program and also turns around his life. And so the book kind of talks about how he, the things he learned in college also turned around his life and his career and his personal life. And so that was fun to do. But to, so the main seasons of the story take place in the late eighties. And so I wanted to make sure I talked to some coaches who were there and, and were involved. So I, I was able to interview coach Holtz, Lou Holtz, and also Barry Switzer, who ran an awesome program at Oklahoma back then. And, uh, and boy, both of them were, were just wonderful to talk to. And I'm so appreciative of the time they gave me. And, but yeah, uh, so Barry Switzer would be another one or just, couldn't have been a nicer guy and and just a very positive and and talked with them both during the COVID stuff and I remember asking Barry Coach Switzer if uh you know how what is your self-talk when when things like (laughs) out of your control happen you lose a game or something happens in business and I'm thinking COVID that kind of stuff and he just said shoot you you, you play the hand you're dealt. Well, he didn't say shoot, but that's very swift. <laughs> yeah. He said, you, know, you, you play the hand you're dealt. You don't look back and, and you keep moving forward. And I just thought, what a great self-talk image. You know, you, you play the hand you're dealt. You really have nothing to do with that, you know, but what you do after, with that hand is everything. And, you know, he just kind of blurted that out. That was kind of his self-talk. And I just thought, that's a pretty powerful image to keep in mind when, when you get hit with something you don't expect. Did, did you get a little boyish excitement when Lou Holtz gave you the uh, okay to interview him for the first time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was an honor. <laughs> Definitely. Well, and I said, you know, I even told him that that was the first, you know, self-help book I ever read and changed my life. It really did. And, and, and so I think that helped me get a, get a good interview. <laughs> But, but no, I, I, another great story I had was about Buck O'Neill, who was featured in the um, Think Like a Warrior book. Uh, and for those who don't know, he was, he was a, a very, very successful player in the Negro Leagues and also the, uh, as a manager. This was back when there were the, quote, Negro Leagues that were when baseball was segregated and African-Americans were not allowed to play in, in the majors and and he was, uh, he would have been just a legendary uh, player, I'm sure, in the in Major League Baseball and, and probably a manager too. But he ended up becoming the first African-American coach in the majors. He was a coach for the Cubs. But um, before that, he was a longtime manager for the Kansas City Monarchs, which was basically the New York Yankees of the Negro Leagues. Right, right. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, and he his story is just amazing. I mean, if you can, he wrote a book uh, that's a great read, and and there've been books written about him. And but uh, but I was well, his main message was to just always you know live love what you do, and and really attack each day with joy and optimism. And after everything he'd been through, I mean, he's got stories about dealing with the Ku Klux Klan back in the day when they were trying to you know play baseball and just amazing that he was he kept such an optimistic hopeful view in life and and uh and so he's one that well i recommend everybody read more about him he was featured on that ken burns baseball documentary and he just an amazing was just an amazing man and um but a funny story is i had a friend that i was that read my book and that, you know, it's so interesting that you say that about Buck O'Neill, or, you know, the chapter on Buck O'Neill, his message about doing what you love to do, because he actually ran into another friend at a class reunion, and his friend ended up doing something in the music business, and but he had been an accountant in college, and he said, well, what happened? How did you decide not to not to do that with your life? And he said, you know, I was coming back on a late night from a business trip, and I got seated next to Buck O'Neill on the airplane coming into Kansas City. And we talked for quite a while. And he just told, I was telling him about my job and what a grind it was. And he just really told me, you, you've got to do what you love to do. You can't waste your time doing, doing yeah. that. And it's, I just, it was amazing to hear my friend say that. And such a, you know, then you boy, what a small world kind of moment. But uh, so that, and he, so he said that chapter really spoke to him because Buck O'Neill did talk so openly about that, those type of messages. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I do remember reading that that uh, that section and think like a warrior too, and how and how just how powerful that was, because um, I think that was one of the sections in Think Like a Warrior that really struck me the most um, was a Buck O'Neill, just because, like you said, his story was incredible. Um, I kind of want to switch gears real, fa- uh, real fast and, and transition more into present day, because obviously, not only as an a- not only like athletes, but just everyone in general is so influenced by the uh, presence of social media and stuff. And athletes are way more accessible <laughs> than they used to be, right? Like you could literally send send them a, a message just randomly, right? They might not see it or whatever, but it's there. It'll be in their own, in their inbox or whatever. So I just want to talk, I want to talk to you uh, and get your thoughts on really like the art of uh, perception, because I feel like a lot of people's minds are clouded with that uh, fear of, of perception and, and and what people think of you online um, and stuff like that, especially coming from an athletic standpoint where, I mean, athletes get it the hardest. Um, So how do you think how do you think it's uh sorry excuse me how do you think it can like really be within someone to really keep that same mindset that that you talk about in your books about what you can control and what you can control to really overcome like not the the bad of social media but as powerful as social media is that's a really really good question because you're right just how much it's changed and i think now that we're seeing more athletes talk about mental health issues and things like that, I can only imagine if you've got millions of followers sending you messages and what that must feel like and how much more uh, of an impact that is and how much harder it is to ignore. I mean, because obviously what we'd want to say is just don't read it, right? Just stay away. You know, don't listen exactly. And, and that sort of thing. And, and, and hopefully people can do that, hopefully, but I, I, I don't know if, it's, if that's realistic in this day and age to not see any of it. So certainly there has to be thicker skin involved. I, I mean, I guess you look at any time you see something posted on social media, the, the negative responses almost always seem to outweigh the positive. And, I, and it's sad that that's the case. But it sure seems to be, you know, and I'm not talking about just with your friends or things like that. You know, just when you see something posted that's headline worthy, all the so many responses just flood in negatively. And no matter what it is, you know, it could be someone hey excited about this new opportunity. <laughs> sure enough, you'll see people, you know, being sarcastic or mocking it or something like that. And, and I, yeah, I, I don't know what you do other than be so you have to be so aware of how that's going to affect your mind the more you see something you are going to to create that path in your in your mind to continuously you know bring up those feelings and i so i think the best thing to do would be to completely never look at it never see it is that even is that real i mean obviously depending on the athlete if you've got you know, a million followers, you're probably not looking at very many responses. <laughs> if you, you know, if you're getting thousands of responses to anything you tweet or, or post or whatever. But, um, but no, I, I think it, it just comes down to trying your absolute best to control what goes into your mind. And hopefully that means you're able to ignore that completely. You know, don't bother reading responses because you know most of them are going to be negative, unfortunately. Or maybe not most, but enough to make you feel bad about yourself or, or to question yourself or to raise that self-doubt. One of the things I talk about in the turnaround is uh, is the difference between confidence and arrogance. You know, this false confidence is worse than no confidence, you know. Um, and what we mean by that is, is someone, there are usually two ways someone is trying to project false confidence. And one of that, one way is to act very arrogant, act very like, I don't care. I'm loud and obnoxious and I don't care. Another way is to act the opposite where you act very stoic and I'm the tough guy and I'm not going to, you know, respond to, but, but the truth is how we act reveals our self image. 
and and if we're respectful to others, you re, you can be assured that, that person has a lot of respect for himself, a lot of self-respect, and so and that stuff I think gets amplified online as well. You know, you see people trying to act a certain image as opposed to just doing the right thing, treating people kindly, and that'll come back to you. I really do believe that. Um, but as far as trying to avoid it. I don't know if it's avoidable if you have, you know, a million people following, you know, like you said, they, anyone who wants can put up a message and no matter how mean or he doesn't have to say it to your face, he can say it behind his computer screen. And, and, and that's the sad part of social media. But hopefully, hopefully people have have gotten better at being able to avoid it, you know, to turn it off. Hey, put out my message. I'm not going to read the responses. I think that's really the only way you can do it if you're, you know, as much as you can. And and we all can do that from a sense of, I think, especially with news media, the negative headlines that get all the attention, the fear, COVID fears, all these things, you know, we all have to be aware of what we're feeding our mind. It's, obviously important to be informed, but we don't have to be inundated with it. And so I think it's so important to step away at times and, and make sure, okay, am I getting addicted to my news feed? Am I getting addicted to, oh, I have to keep checking because I want to see the latest, you know, fearful headline or something, <laughs> something along those lines. I mean, you don't consciously think you want it, but your brain, you know, your brain does almost make you start checking your phone. So I think that has to be a conscious decision to say, you know what, I'm only going to check headlines at this particular point in the day and the rest of the day I'm going to feed my mind positive positive books, positive movies, positive music, that sort of thing. Right. I guess I, 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 that's kind of a rambling response to your question, but <laughs> no, no it's perfectly fine. I mean, every, I mean, so, I mean, it's perfectly fine because social media is such like a talked about, talked about thing nowadays because of the, of the power that we have. Um, I, you've been mentioning throughout our conversation here about the, the, uh, the importance of uh, positive talk, right? And from a coaching view, I was taking a class uh, in college with uh, Jay Martin, who's probably who's the uh, winningest uh, soccer coach across all of uh, across all NCAA divisions one, two, and three. He has all, over like seven hundred wins, or something like that. Um, and he was saying that positive talk, or like from a coaching standpoint, like. This is like talking from coach to player. That positive talk isn't the best. Negative talk isn't the best. But like informative feedback would is the best way of coaching. What do you? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's that's important. We have to be realistic. Um, so it's it's very interesting. Because, yeah, you don't want to just totally lie to yourself, but there are ways you can deal with something from a more positive self-talk way. For instance, I know Jimmy Johnson, the Dallas Cowboys former coach who just got inducted to the Hall of Fame. He, he, was, he was actually a psychology major in college. And so he, he was somewhat ahead of his time, I think, on, on the way he taught. But he, he mentioned in his book how important he was how how much he really focused on never saying don't fumble the ball. He never said don't do this, don't do that. It was always more hold the ball tight, you know, hold it here, you know, that sort of thing. It was it was never don't you throw an interception. Whatever you do, don't throw an interception. It was, you know, fire the ball in at your target. You know, it was all the positive. See what you want to see happen. Um, Lou Holtz talked about that in his book. You know that one time he dealing with the quarterback and the last thing he said was whatever you do don't throw an interception and that's the first thing he did when <laughs> when you give put that negative image in your head you're much more likely to have it happen whereas but that doesn't mean we ignore that it can happen you know i think so as opposed to saying don't fumble the ball you're saying hold the ball tight you know you're focusing on the positive and i think that's kind of addressing what you're asking because um we know from Sports psychology lessons, sports psychology research, and even regular research in positive psychology, it has taught us that positive 
motivation does work better for most people than negative motivation or, you know, fear-based motivation. The motivation that, hey, whatever you don't mess up or you're going to have to run till you drop, that was a very common way to motivate not, you know, just a generation ago. And, and we've all learned and studies have shown that performance for most people is much consistently better if it's positive motivation. You know, I believe you can do this. I believe in you. I have the confidence in you. I trust you. You can do this. You know, more of that type of coaching has, has much better results. And, and John Wooden was real big on that. He was a, ahead of his time there. Doesn't mean coaches didn't win the other way. I mean, obviously we can all find the examples, the Bobby Knights and I was just about to say Bobby Knight too. <laughs> right. right. And, and so, you know, and times have changed a little bit too. You know, I think there was a certain generation that was much more likely to, you know, my high school coaches were much more along the lines of, of that more old school fear-based, you better not mess up type of coaching. But we do know now that that isn't as effective, you know, and, now, is there a time to get, you know, there are examples. Some people are better motivated by, you know, whatever, you know, I got to do this. I, I cannot let my teammates down, that sort of thing. But for the most part, most people are going to be better motivated by positive motivation. And the studies are, are it's overwhelming as far as what's been proven there. So, so you're telling me that hurling a uh, hurling a folding chair across the court isn't the right way of coaching, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've frowned upon it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one one last question here before before we uh, we end it here. Um, so, in terms of self improvement and and confidence and positive self talk and all the things we talked about today i'm not asking you to predict the future here but what do you think uh what like what do you think becomes of this industry if you will um as as we as we move on into the future years you mean the self-improvement industry yeah yeah oh i i don't think that'll ever be i mean we always need to learn and to adapt and to and to keep learning how to improve ourselves. I, I, I don't think that'll ever wane away as far as, uh, it just, we go back to just what we were talking, how the leadership styles have changed. What, what worked for, uh, you know, the people that came back from the world war two generation or their fathers and things like that, more of the general style of, of coaching has changed a lot. You really see very few coaches that probably coach like that anymore, right? You know? Um, so I think everything is evolving and we have to keep learning from the more information that we have. So, I, yeah, I don't think there'll ever be a, a shortage of need for for more self-improvement and more understanding and more learning how to get the very best. And again, you know, we can always, like you said, we can find the examples of people who... <laughs> Do it differently, but you always have to wonder. You have to be true to yourself, but you also have to wonder: Could they have gotten even more out of players had they done? Had they had the knowledge that we have now about positive psychology and what the studies are all showing? Uh, it's 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 kind of interesting to think of it that way. So, uh, so if the self improvement industry is it's it's never going away, as you said, that means you'll probably have to write eighty to a hundred more books just to just to sustain. <laughs> I, I hope so. That's, that's cool. Yeah, I, I think that'd be great. I, you know, and that's kind of what Sports for the Soul has become, as far as uh, more of an evolving. Um, Feed your mind. I, I, I really, I'm hearing from readers that want that. I, we just want more. We want to keep feeding our minds, and 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 I'm the same way. I I love to, you know, keep reading motivational books and things like that because you know life life will try to kick you down, and and you have to you have to constantly try to take control of your self talk. And I believe one of the best ways is through reading reading books that are motivational and and positive. Yeah, so uh, keep writing, Darren. That's all I gotta hey. say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you will. Uh, 
Well, Darren Donnelly, I I can't thank you enough for uh, agreeing to uh, hop on here. I know I know it took 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 a good amount of time to get you on here as you were finishing uh, the turnaround, but so so uh, happy that we uh, I was finally able to uh, talk to you today on the KO Convo. I am too. This was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Thanks for listening to that awesome conversation. And more importantly, thanks to Darren for agreeing to join me on today's podcast. You can follow Darren on Twitter at Darren Donnelly, all one word. Both these are uppercase. And you could also check out his website, www.sportsforthesoul.com, where you can find links to purchase his books and daily advice. And he also does a newsletter uh, that he sends out with advice from coaches and things of that nature. So definitely go check him out thank you again for listening watching whatever platform you may be interacting with this podcast on and we will see you on the next episode